0: Good afternoon, this is Dr. Daniel J. Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast on 22 June, 2023. We're gonna be doing lecture number 82 in immunoepigenetics. Recall we were talking about all lymphoid cell precursors, those are ALPs, early innate lymphoid precursors, EILPs, and simply innate lymphoid cell progenitors. So three different classes. And we're talking about their chromatin accessibility in association with specific histone modifications to be able to measure precisely where nucleosomal um, insertion into gene expression domains played a role in the overall development of these different innate lymphoid precursor cell lines. Okay, all an epigenetic story. So the modifications that we're looking at specifically on the histones were H3K4-methyl-3, so three methyl groups on that lysine-4, H3K27-acetylated, H3K27-trimethyl, and they looked at all the ALPs, EILPs, and ILCPs. Now those cells were isolated, a murine model from mouse bone marrow, and they used a system that gave them low cell input, small cell number DNA sequencing substrates. Now, shorter for that is SCDNA-seq. I'm going to explain that technique because it's unique from the one we mentioned yesterday. Still going to include that nuclease, but you're going to find out there's more detail here. Recall in previous lectures that increased chromatin accessibility is going to be linked to cell-specific cis regulatory elements by cis regulatory elements what are we talking about the dna so you can do a mapping using dna one hypersensitive sites those are known as dhs's and that enables the detection of the active regulatory elements of transcription which of course involves promoters and enhancers and um Splice junction and sites and insulators and locus control regions. Now, what they're not mentioning here, and I will tell you, is those are the same regions too you'd want to take a look at for DNA replication, DNA recombination, and DNA repair. So it's not just a transcriptional phenomenon that ultimately plays a role in these epigenetic modifications sent um vis-a-vis the level of specific nation gene transcription okay so they use this single cell dna sequencing and that's a method that detects genome wide dna hypersensitive sites and they can do it by starting with a single cell or up to even a thousand cells from some primary tissue source, like the bone marrow here. Now, what the technique enables one to do is do a mapping that's genome-wide of hypersensitive sites, DHAs, in a range of cell populations that would not be otherwise isolated and characterized using conventional DNA 1 sequencing. Because there's a requirement, typically for that procedure, for 10 to the 6th to 10 to the 7th uh, cell culture. So fresh cells, formaldehyde cross-linked cells, or cells recovered from a formalin-fixed paraffin-embedded tissue, are all acceptable for this SCDNA-seq assay. And what they're trying to do here, obviously, is generate libraries. So, what they do is they take the cells and they lyse them and then they digest them with that DNA swan. Now, circular carrier plasma DNA is included during the purification of that DNA. And ultimately, they're making a library, right, by using those plasmids. And that's going to prevent the loss for any. Possible low level DHS DNA. Remember, the DHS is the DNA hypersensitive site. So they have to clone it and amplify the ones that are in really low copy number. So libraries get generated. Then they do a high throughput sequencing. Again, they're using what's called an Illumina platform, standard technique. And then they prepare these libraries. And they can get the entire process done using these single cell in just a couple of days okay now that whole technique was first published in 2017 in nature protocols now you have single cell chromatin immunocleavage sequencing let me explain that to you this is a further development single cell chromatin immunocleavage sequencing now that's used when you wanna go after those histone modifications. And you're targeting again, a micrococcal-based DNase with a principle of this chromatin immunocleavage reaction. And what you're hoping is to measure specific epigenetic profiles of single cells. Now, again, why do people want to look at single cells and not at populations it's because there's heterogeneity this is something that people often forget when you're taught physiology or biochemistry or molecular genetics we talk about cells from say the liver or from the cardiac muscle or from certain uh, nuclei of a central nervous system and we treat that cell mass as being homogeneous it is not homogeneous when you look at a single cell level as particular of tissues isolating cells from tissues not in a cell culture but in tissues what you find is there is variation in the individual cells now why is that important because it's authentic it will explain to you if there is a, for example in this case an epigenetic markup at the level of authorship that is common or uncommon when you look at individual cell epigenomes. Okay. So very, very important to develop epigenetic profiles at the single cell level. So they do this SCCHLC sequencing. Again, single cell chromatin immunocleavage sequencing, okay? And how do they do it? Well, first of all, what is the process? There is a cleavage at sites of histone modification or transcription factor binding by that micrococcal nuclease that gets recruited to specific chromatin regions by an antibody, through a direct, either through a direct covalent conjugation with the antibody. Now, there in that case, you're conjugating the antibody directly to the micrococcal DNAs, which meant is going to carry out the reaction on the hypersensitive site, or through, I like this one better, a protein A an, uh, antibody interaction. Protein A binds the antibody, so that's going to be antibody plus protein A, the antibody specific to what? Specific histones with specific epigenomic molecular alterations. So that's called ABPA micrococcal DNAs. Okay, that is the complex forms, a a triadic complex. So the direct covalent conjugation between the antibody and the micrococcal nuclease will eliminate any antibody protein A interaction, because that's something you have to concern yourself with because there's going to be different affinity between a specific antibody and protein A, even though protein A binds to antibodies, okay? There's obviously going to be a level of substrate specificity there. Now, on chromatin, just so you fully understand this technique, the micrococcal nuclease will cleave DNA near the nucleosome, the nucleosome with the specific histone modification. Why? Because of the antibody binding. And of course, you're going to get now smaller DNA fragments. Now, to minimize any DNA that could be lost, because remember you're building a library here, both target and non-target, DNA fragments can be recovered and then they all get ligated to the adapters and then they then you amplify that by amplifying the plasmid copy now since the targets are smaller compared to the non-target DNA they become preferentially amplified by selective PCR conditions and then that those products can be isolated on agarose gels, and then they're sequenced um, with a specific nuclease platform by tethering it to an antibody, and then you do selective PCR amplification of specific cleaved target sites associated with that antibody, okay? So, you get different fractions that way, you understand. so. What they did using these techniques is they did they detected dynamic changes for the tcf7 that's a transcription factor the gata 3 same spi1 again a transcription factor and the irf8 now each of those gene loci were altered and what the alteration showed was increased accessibility With an active histone modification mark. And which were those histone modification marks? H3K4 trimethylated, H3K27 acetylated. And those are observed at promoter and enhancer regions of two of those genes, the ones we've been talking about, the TCF7 and the GATA3. Now, decreases in Histone 3 lysine 4 trimethylation and histone 3 lysine 27 acetylation were also observed. And where were they observed? At the promoters and at the distal DNA hypersensitive sites of the SP1 and the ERF8 gene, but only from the alp and the ilcp cells that is associated with a decreased chromatin accessibility at the sp1 gene but as it turns out not at the irf8 promoter okay so you see that there's a great deal of individual examination of specific cis elements in the dna relative to the proximity to epigenetically modified histones which are found within the nucleosomal ordering of the chromatin right so this is really important because what they're trying to get at the local versus distant association. Of those epigenetic markups to the control over gene expression. And what gene expression we're looking at? All these transcription factors, which are going to lead to the further terminal differentiation of all these different innate lymphocytic progenitors. Okay? Because that's what they're trying to understand. Where do you get all the specificity? Obviously, it's all epigenetics, which what I've been trying to argue. Now, epigenetic changes of those genes I just mentioned, particularly GATA3 and TCF7, are consistent with the expression pattern that you see during the developmental progress from the ALP, that's the all, all the way to the simply innate lymphoid cell precursor. Now, what else you have to keep in mind is that the bivalent modification at the GATA-3 promoter in the all innate lymphoid cell precursor population, okay, that includes all the different, that's before further differentiation, can be resolved to a monovalent histone-3-lysine-4-trimethylation modification. By the time you get to the next stage of cellular differentiation, which are those early innate, innate lymphoid precursors, that's opposed to the monovalent repressive, of course, what's it going to be, histone-3-lysine-27 trimethylated modification that you find at the TCF promoter at back at the all uh, lymphocyte precursor stage. And that gets replaced by the monovalent active H3K4. So it goes from lysine-27 to lysine-4 trimethylation the, by the time you get to the early ILPs, okay? And all of that's associated with transcriptional activation in those cells. So not only do you have those alterations of methylation pattern as you differentiate through those cell lines from further and further to a terminal differentiation of the ILCs, but you also have that directly associated with transcriptional activation. So the data at this point suggests that there's a general trend of chromatin opening and closing, because remember these epigenetic changes on the histones are going to have that effect and that the opening and closing of chromatin is associated with gene activation as well as repression respectively opening activation repression closing and that occurs during innate cell differentiation innate lymphocytic cell differentiation and so that means there is a distinct regulatory mechanism that's placed upon the expression of the cell lineage-specific transcription factors. Okay. Now let's back up here and do some general um, surveil. During cell development, following any kind of pathogen or inflammatory cytokine stimulation you always observe a regional tissue specific cell specific innate immune response and that particular response is associated with the ill the ability of those innate cells to sense pattern-associated, pathogen-associated molecular patterns, excuse me, PAMPs, plus those associated with the pathogen now, right, plus damage-associated molecular patterns, those are the DAMPs. And those are both released, the PAMPs and the DAMPs, from damaged or stressed cells. So those cells, this is all part and parcel we're talking about what these innate Lymphoid cell progenitors. So, those cells that we're just talking about that were exposed to the PAMPs and the DAMPs will elicit germline specific pattern recognition receptor, C lectin, and cytokine centered signaling. That, of course, leads to the production of many different types of innate immune effectors. And what occurs because of that subsequently is an elimination of the invading pathogen or the removal of the damaged host cells. So cell-specific functions correspond to cell-specific phenotypes. And the phenotypes of the innate immune cells are plastic. In that, once they are programmed, that programming sticks with That innate immune cell population. And then subsequently, the innate immune cells will undergo a transition from the quiescent to the activated phenotype. In response to the pathogen, when the pathogen is causing an infection, or without a pathogen, and when there is no pathogen there, or it's just a danger signal. So Once those cells are stimulated, the activated innate immune cells are converted to a repressive phenotype because what happens as soon as they are activated and carry out a pro-inflammatory response, they pull that back. So they have to resolve that pro-inflammatory signaling. And that's done to prevent further healthy tissue damage. Now. Keep that in mind, bracket that off, and think about this. Cytokine priming of the cells or any pretreatment with special molecular components, say from the microorganisms, say LPS, from bacteria, will induce innate cells to take on often a tolerant phenotype, or what can be called a trained phenotype. And that becomes the basis for innate immune cell memory. Again, a plastic effect. The impression is left behind. You see? Now you remember we're talking about plastic and elastic. And we're talking about methylomes which are maintained, methyl ma- maintenance methylomes, versus methylomes that are removed before cell cycle occurs. So you get the idea between <laughs> elastic and plastic effects. Now, that's not that's not being considered here when you think about normal immunological responses i'm adding that in okay because i want to understand the significance of the epigenetic alterations now of course there are lots of different pathological um conditions and they can be associated with often other than a regular activation of innate immune cell response a dysregulation of the innate immune cell response and what that can lead to is an autoimmune response subsequently or a persistent pathogen infection or super infection because of the lack of control over that recovery phase after the initial activation so the pathogen then completely subverts the innate immune response in that way so then what you get is chronic inflammation even if the pathogen is no longer there because you haven't you haven't reverted to now the anti-inflammatory state okay you understand how dysregulation can then lead to some very dangerous phenomena? Now, during infection, the pathogen will utilize all those strategies to try to dysregulate the innate immune response. And that dysregulation will then function to enhance the virulence of the invading pathogen. And in fact, that often allows pathogens to go intracellular and to persist within the host. So overall, a dysregulated innate immune response uh, coupled with an uncontrolled inflammation will result in multiple morbidities linked directly to disease states. And that can also lead directly, finally, to host mortality. So both pathogen infection and even sterile inflammation caused by stress or damage or an alteration in DNA, RNA or protein or lipid fidelity in the cell, all of that can train innate cells to consistently and excessively produce pro-inflammatory cytokines on one axis. On the other side of that axis, the innate immune cells could become totally unresponsive, unresponding. And that would lead to inflammatory diseases, for example, in a tissue-specific manner. Now, what are some of those diseases that we know where this occurs at the innate immune cell level? How about RA, rheumatoid arthritis, atherosclerosis, and the neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's. Now, beyond that, the pathophysiological niche signals are also reprogramming that pathophysiological phenotype of the innate cells that are involved. And we talked about these a great deal 10 lectures ago. Those were the tumor-associated macrophages. Remember those? Yes. So, many inflammatory diseases then are linked to innate immune response dysregulation and have nothing to do, at least at those stages where the disease is first induced, all the way the disease can cause high morbidity, even to, morta- to high mortality, depending if that immune response is not shut down. All of that inflammation and hyperimmune response without any involvement of lymphocytes okay so I want that to be clear the innate immune cells can cause a great deal of damage to the cellular milieu because of this dysregulation of recovery from that initial activation now that was a general thing we just got into for the last couple five minutes why did I do that because we've been talking the specificity of the epigenetic markup of the innate lymphoid cell progenitors. Think about all those modifications I just told you about the nucleosomal level, for the different histones, lysine residues, and whether or not they were methylated or acetylated, and in association with promoter regions, proximal or distal, transcription factor expression what do you think that the role of epigenetics would play in that innate immune cell chronic inflammatory disease state obviously a very significant role because it is precisely the epigenetic modifications that cause the differentiation of those particular innate um, lymphoid cell progenitors, which can lead to dendritic cells, which you know are going to be activating ultimately, yes, T cells and B cells. So ultimately, you'll get an acquired immune response. But also, all those other innate cells that are otherwise just surveilling and killing. And one more important variable, the natural killer T lymphocytes, which are quite deadly when they are not controlled, okay? So I wanted to bring all that focus to the general, to the conceptual level, because we were talking all about the specific, that is um, sense data level, right? The individual data points. Of looking at what we just found out from that paper from 2022 so we're going to we're going to continue this discussion because it's time for me to stop right now we're going to continue now to bring back the epigenetic profiling from that 2022 paper and alter the discussion with that with a general discussion of the innate immune cell control over inflammation and ultimately we'll come to a synthesis right? probably two more lectures we'll have to cover to get that completed. So I will stop here. This is Dr. Dan Guerra, again, Authentic Biochemistry Podcast, um, on a Thursday afternoon, 22nd of June, 2023, saying bye for now.